Today's episode of Hear That Podcast Ground is brought to you by Remarkably Remote, a new daily microcast from the experts at GoToMeeting, all about making work from home work for you with indispensable intel on how to stay sane, motivated, and productive at home. We're here to help you in this brave new remote working world. So find us on smart speakers or subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. You can also listen at gotomeeting.com slash tips. That's gotomeeting.com slash tips. Welcome to the latest edition of Hear That Podcast. Growlin, Paul Andrew Jr. and Jay Morrison of The Athletic here with you. How are we doing, Jay? Doing well. Kind of getting used to this whole thing. Too used to it, probably. I love not wearing shoes. Yeah. <laughs> as long as it's shoes. <laughs> I get concerned about the amount of pants that's being worn by people. You know, not that it matters, because it really doesn't matter. I just, I just prefer to know that someone I'm talking to at least is wearing shorts. That's exactly what I'm wearing: is shorts and a t-shirt, no shoes. It just feels, it feels like a nice, casual, lazy summer afternoon. I'll, I will take that. I will take that over, uh, you know, pantsless colleague. I'll, I'll take that any day. I'm all about. I'm, I'm I'm totally comfortable with with what you're doing right now. I do. This might be too much information, but I did. I set a first last week. You know, it's draft season, so all these different radio stations are calling to do hits and doing their mock drafts. And uh, I had one set up with a radio station in San Diego and completely forgot about it. And my phone started ringing when I was in the shower. So I did my first ever radio hit naked from my bathroom. Ooh, shower <laughs> hits. That's when, that's when we're too deep into draft season. When you're doing shower hits, that's no, that is, that is no way to go. Shower beer. Okay. Right. Like we're yeah. quarantined. We need our alcohol, but shower radio hits. It's gone too far. I turned the water off. <laughs> That'd have been great if you just kept it running. <laughs> Hold on. Shampooing. Uh, all right. Lot to get to, so I don't want to waste too much more time talking about Jay in the shower. So, uh, uh, on today's episode, a uh, great college draft analyst from Pro Football Focus, Mike Renner, joining us to talk very specifically about linebacker, wide receivers, and of course, I make him give me his favorite PFF Joe Burrow stat. Um, we are going to talk about our 10 part draft strategy series is kicked off. Uh, this week, we started basically. We're moving. The series is moving. We're very, we're very outside of the box a little bit on how we're rolling these out. We're rolling these out closest to the ball to eventually farthest away from the ball. Some would say that goes for a matter of importance uh, or the opposite. So we have started out offensive line, tight end, and then we have defensive tackle and edge. Uh, this week in the strategy series, so we're going to dive into those a little bit here. The you know if you haven't seen it, highly recommend it. What one of one of my favorite things uh, to do all year. It's a true deep dive into not just the prospects, not just 
the best players, but, you know, into where the Bengals are at roster-wise, it's sort of a roster reset, and there's a lot to reset after everything that's happened in free agency. So we dive into the current players on the roster, what the variables are that they're looking at, uh, some of the trends you see across the NFL that are affecting the Bengals, um, and then who might be your scheme fits, sleepers, the senior bowl spotlight this year of extra importance with uh, them coaching that game, and, of course, predictions of what we think will happen. So highly recommend you looking at those. If you're not a subscriber, please come join. Take our 90-day free trial, free run with us for 90 days so you get full-on draft season and beyond. Um, you know, highly recommend doing that if you're not. But let's let's start this. You know, to set this up, we had to kind of do our positional priority for the entire team. Um, and so we, we broke it down and, and I just thought it'd be kind of fun to quickly talk through how we landed the way that we landed because we, we had a slight difference of opinion, but I think we agreed, Jay, didn't we? That sort of the top four, I think seemed pretty clear. Yeah. It was just a matter of where. Because of the Joe Burrow being a foregone conclusion thing, where do, where do you slot quarterback? But obviously it's the most important position in the game. So we went ahead and, and made that number one on our position priority. And then I, I do think we were, uh, I think we had the same, uh, two, three and fours as well. Uh, and then it started to kind of vary once we got outside of those first four spots. Yeah, it's weird. It's honestly, you know, I, I'm not sure how I'm writing the quarterback one and I'm sort of started on it. Uh, it's going to run, I believe next week. Um, how, like, what do I do? Do I just write Joe Burrow like 700 times? Like, wait. <laughs> <laughs> so it's kind of odd trying to rank positional priority when one is a foregone conclusion. Yeah, it's the number one because in this, in this, uh, exercise you are taking a clean slate where they assuming they haven't drafted Joe Burrow yet so yes number one quarterback linebacker wide receiver and then we have offensive line all in that top four the thing is we're doing this through the eyes of the Bengals and and we've talked about this quite a bit on here and that is and, and I wrote a lot about this in the offensive line which is the the position that kicked off our series and that was the the groundswell of this organization believing in their current state of the offensive line and what that means for how aggressive they will be towards that position in this draft. I mean, I had a quote from the combine from Brian Callahan in there where he talked about, you know, they are, there is no choice. They are absolutely counting on a second year jump from Michael Jordan and Fred Johnson. I mean, Fred Johnson, a guy that played a couple of games. Michael Jordan, a guy who only played a couple of decent games um, towards the end. Oh, guys that trended up, but you're counting on those. And if you are, I think that means you don't see something coming in reserve. And I, you know, we have that up here in number four priority, but I wonder how much farther down the board it might be for them. Yeah, I, I, I kind of agree with that, that, that it would be farther down. Um, not just those two, not just Fred and, and Michael Jordan, but, but Brian was quick to point out Isaiah Prince too. I mean, he was a draft pick last year. He's a guy that they think can have, uh, versatility and, and extra depth. And I just, I don't, I don't know. I don't think they see it as much of a priority this year, at least, 
um, as maybe we do, as maybe the fans do. Um, you what you had them taking their first lineman in the fourth round, is that right? One oh seven. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And I don't know. I that feels about right. Um, I, I well, don't know. I mean, look, we we talked about. I remember sitting in Indy at the combine doing this podcast talking about they have a receiver's coming off one of those that second or third round pick. Thirty three or sixty five is a receiver. It seems almost inevitable. Thirty three or sixty five almost. It seems seeming pretty inevitable as a linebacker. Yeah. Like, and I know that you don't want to be pigeonholed by position, and they like to claim that they aren't, ever. But I just don't know that that's the case. And, you know, what are the odds that they are picking on day three with that first pick and they've taken anything other than quarterback, linebacker, receiver in some order? I mean – I would say it's pretty good odds that that's the case. Unless they trade that, that pick. They. Right, and add. It, it, but the know, odds of them adding years. a three? Yeah. The, I mean, you know, depends on how far back you go. Maybe they, if they have to, they'd have to drop back a decent clip in order to get a three out of that. Maybe they do. But you're still basically at the top of the fourth round. You know, I'm, and again, they could. I mean, you absolutely could. But when you look at where they're at priority wise and what we've heard from them and what, how we think they view it, um, and what we keep saying, you can't fix everything in one off season, but, um, there's a lot of uncertainty at linebacker and wide receiver immediately and into the future. Whereas we haven't heard, we certainly haven't heard the same hope displayed about the future of the wide receiver position or linebacker position as we have offensive line. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Because I mean, like realistically, what are the odds that, that John Ross and AJ Green are here in 2021? I mean, the AJ thing is still up in the air with the, with the, the contract situation, whether he play, if they get a long-term deal done. John Ross just doesn't seem like that. I mean, no. he's, it's basically on a proven. John Ross is not here in 2020. Unless he explodes no this year and, and then maybe prices himself out of it. So yeah, that, so the, the need at linebacker is immediate right now. We have four guys on the roster, but. Wide receiver is gonna be a need. Uh, I just I don't see how they can how they can not attack both of those positions early unless well even if they do if they make a trade and trade back they're still taking one of those and then maybe you get a chance if you happen to get an extra third round pick then you throw in that offensive lineman as well. Yeah, there's yeah it's it's gonna be an interesting scenario because then so so that's just it so you have those top four and the rest of it you know we're talking about corner. Anything on defense, you know, it's hard to see them being super aggressive with because they just were in free agency. I mean, they added pieces to every level, multiple pieces on some levels. You know, you've got a completely reworked secondary. All They've just spent all this money, you know, between Bynes and Reeder and Alexander and Waynes and Bell. I mean, you're going to have – you've got all these new pieces that are in there. The idea that you're going to see – with only seven picks and them having not really touched the offense at all, except for adding Joe Burrow at number one, the idea that you're going to see some, a bunch of defensive prospects show up, I don't, 
you know, I don't, I don't think that's real. I don't think that makes any sense, or it, it certainly doesn't seem to be part of their plan. It's not hard to read the obvious tea leaves here. Spend in free agency on defense and grow your offense around Joe Burrow with a bunch of young guys. I, I'm totally on board with that. That's what I would anticipate happening here, just for that reason. Uh, which means what? It means receiver and offensive line, and, and maybe even doubling up at some of those positions. Uh, throwing a throwing a late round tight end. You know, I feel like you're kind of set at running back. Um, you know, so th- there's not really where are you going to go. You they be taking fourth, fifth round. I mean, with that point, fourth, fifth round corners and edge rushers. What's your success rate there? Maybe defensive tackle. I mean, we've seen them hit in, hit later in the draft at that position. But I mean. It feels like it should just be add a bunch of young pieces to the offense and hope some pan out and grow with Joe Burrow together. Yeah, and and especially at those two positions because, like you said, they are they are set at run back, running back. They don't they don't really need one um, tight end. Maybe a late flyer, but I mean those are those are two of the three bottom that we have in our position priority. Safety last, yeah. and then those two. So, yeah, they 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 could very easily double up at both. At, at offensive line and wide receiver. Um, and, and I would have no problem with that. No. None. I don't think anyone would. None. No. I, you know, add because the, the one thing I want to, I, I want to, and we'll, we'll get more into receiver. I should, we shouldn't drive too much into this because we want to talk about, get to the, the ones that we wrote about this week. But I mean, this is about somebody to step in this year and the realistic thing that that person would grow into be a number one guy next year. In the, in a, in a, uh, you know, a foreseeing of the future that doesn't involve AJ Green. So, um, you know, it, it, whether it's T Higgins or whoever you're talking about that you can get at 33, you would be drafting that guy to be a number two this year, a number one next year and, and take over that top role. That's the idea here. And that's what you're hoping. That's what they would be hoping for if they went with that aggressive route. But we have lots of receiver stuff to get to. We'll drop more into that as we get closer um, to the draft. For now, let's kind of turn a focus onto what we wrote about this week. And that is, you know, up front. Um, let's, st- let's start on the defensive side of the ball with what you did, Jay. I mean, you have the defensive tackle thing. And, and it's not that it's a high priority. We have it. We had defensive tackle down at seven of ten, um, but really this is a discussion of Geno Atkins, recently minted All-Decade Team Geno Atkins. Mm-hmm. Um, congratulations to him. The only Bengal on there, uh, although not a, uh, uh, without some controversy, I will point out Andrew Whitworth and AJ Green, some strong cases to be on there. But um, I guess I could spend probably a whole other podcast uh, going into Andrew Whitworth versus Joe Staley and where I might find on that. Although I probably wouldn't need but a few minutes to make a pretty clear point. Um, the the point being, how soon is too soon or is it imperative now to find the three technique of the future? And is that guy out there, what does that guy look like? Yeah, I mean, well, it's funny because you, you you kicked off the series with the offensive line and, and had him taking an offensive lineman at 107, and then I had my defensive tackle piece today, and I had him taking a defensive tackle at 107, uh, McTelvin Agent from Arkansas. I, I think if there's a guy there that they really like, if you go offense, 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 then all of a sudden the, that frees you up. I mean, we, we talked about them possibly doubling up, but more than likely, if they go offense, 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 first three, they're getting somebody – defensively 
uh, with the first pick of the third day, the first pick of the fourth round. And, and it's a, where are they, where, where's the most need really on defense? Nowhere after what they did, um, in free agency, but at defense, at the edge rushers, you have guys, you've got talent there. Uh, it's just thin, um, with, with Lawson and Hubbard and Dunlap, uh, at tackle, you just don't know how rapidly that, that Gino's going to decline. You don't know if Ryan Glasgow is ever going to be the same after his back-to-back knee injuries. You, even DJ Reader's a bit of a question. He's never played in this system. He's never played for this staff. So I just, I think that's the, that's the position that most likely is, is the first defensive spot that they target. And that's why, that's why 107, the first pick of the fourth round felt right for me there. Yeah, and I and I think you know, and I, I would agree with that. For a re, I mean, you're trying to replicate your 2010 pick of Geno Atkins, fourth round mm-hmm. defensive tackle that you like. You know, maybe you know the knock there on Geno was undersized uh, and and not as had some up and down production. So you're you're trying to hit that again ten years later. You know to. To be your your replacement of him for the next ten years, and the odds of hitting that are are thin are slim. You know, Geno Atkins is a generational pick by this staff. Let's be honest. Um, you know, you're to hit somebody to be an all decade player in the fourth round is you know should be should be praised first of all to find that guy. I mean, so many people never do. So many of those, those all decade. If you look at that all decade team, how many of those guys were top picks? Right. I mean, you know, you're, you're, you're playing to your strength there to, to find one in a later round is, is impressive and a big part of why they had so many good teams. Um, you know, so you're looking for that and I, you know, who finding that is just so hard to do and you're, you're bringing in, you're more likely drafting Andrew Brown than you are Geno Atkins. Let's just say that much, you know? I mean, it's that's let's be great. Let's be realistic. So, I mean, did you? Is there any guy? I mean, you you picked what? Why did you pick? Um, who you picked, and who were some other guys that that kind of stuck out when you were looking through sleepers and guys that could be in that spot? Um, I like Ajem just because he is he he is a guy that has a lot of different pass rush moves, and, and the scouts have really impressed with. With his ability to get into the backfield, he's tall. He's six foot three. He's one of those guys that even if he doesn't get into the backfield, he can disrupt the passing game with his length. Um, you know, kind of, kind of in that mold of of Rennell Wren, who they took last year. I think what well, he's six five. Um, so I I just felt like that was a guy, and he was at the Senior Bowl. He played at both. He 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 played at the East West Shrine game, and then got a late invite and came to the Senior Bowl too. So he's had a lot of off season work, a lot of off season tape for teams to look at. Um, and then another guy that I thought was really interesting is uh, Gallimore from Oklahoma. Um, just a kind of a I know it's an overused term, but a freak athletically. Um, some of the things he can do. He ran a four seven nine at the forty. He he's got. He can jump out of the gym is what Daniel Jeremiah said. That's in the piece. I don't know how important that is for a defensive tackle. If you're already a tall guy and you got your arms up, but still, um, that's what, what I see there. Not, not an Andrew Billings or a DJ reader type, a guy that can, is more athletic, is longer and, and can be more of a disruptive force in the pass game. Yeah. I think what you're looking for 
I think this is a boomer bust swing, and most picks late in the draft are. Mm-hmm. But you're just you're you're trying to buy a lottery ticket. So raw prospect that you don't necessarily you obviously don't need to play right away because you have what you have with with Gino and and you just have you you Atkins and Reader. I I didn't do the math. I would be curious what their two salaries combined. That has to be the most expensive duo. And the interior of a four three in football, I'd be curious to see where that ranks. I um, it'd be hard to imagine much more than paying twenty five, about twenty five million dollars to your in two interior defensive linemen. You're 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 trying to project somebody who has a, maybe a freakish type athletic skill set that can be developed, that is raw, that maybe even played at a small school. Um, somebody like to me that's that's where you're looking is for something like that. And that's why I think your prediction kind of makes sense there. You know, somebody who rose up the ranks in the, in the off season run up, maybe, maybe that's part of who he is and, and part of his development. I, I, you know, I, I like that. Um, kicking out to edge, you know, this is more of a, you know, I, I, I get, I go back and forth on what's a more pressing need because, you know, again, will Carl Lawson be back here next year? Maybe probably Whatever, Sam Hubbard's here for the long run. Carlos Dunlap, we're at the end of his run, you know, and, they, and, that, and that's what we're talking about here. Now, you also can go out and find uh, edge rushers. Apparently, look at all of them that are. There's still some quality pass rushers that you would put in the back of your room easily. Still out there, Marcus Golden, out there, a few other uh, guys of that type. And maybe, maybe you even see them try to land after the draft. Uh, maybe a move happens there, but um, you know an edge rusher that maybe could be another raw possible developing skill guy. I think would be the other would be the other option back here. Any any that stick out for you from from going through that piece? Yeah, I, I had a guy that fits just that mold, and th- this is funny because it's the the coaching staff is obviously different, but the front office is the same, and you wonder how burned or gun shy they feel with the Margus Hunt experiment that never worked out. Although he, he went to Indy and played well. Maybe they just didn't give him enough time. But uh, Alex Highsmith from Charlotte is one of those guys that uh, obviously a smaller school like Charlotte, you always wonder about the level of competition. Um, but he, he had no Division One offers coming out of high school, and then he turned into this crazy explosive guy in, in college, 16 sacks last year. Um, so that could be, that's another area where you get a, a, a guy that, that you can you view as a project and, and you can develop. And uh, another one, um, Bradley and a from Utah was just, they, well, I mean, the, the senior bowl, the, the offensive line for the Bengals South squad was a wreck. And, and Ana took, total advantage of it he was in the backfield that entire game uh certainly that is something that this coaching staff is not going to forget and he's he's a guy that is probably more in that wheelhouse and a fourth maybe third round third fourth fifth round guy where if, if he stays on the board and he's there in the fourth or fifth round when they start looking at defense he could be another sleeper to keep an eye on that uh that piece is out on Thursday. Uh, yes. So if you're listening to this, it's it's up now maybe or maybe coming out tomorrow morning depending on when you're what you're I don't I don't know your podcast schedule. Some people like to wait. 
So we like to get it immediately. We love, we thank you people that go out immediately, but, uh, that is coming out Thursday, but, uh, we have the tight end out Wednesday. Uh, offensive line, as I mentioned, already out. Uh, let's talk a little bit about s- s- what they're looking for on the uh, up front. And look, they played John Jerry at tackle last year. At, at, at one point, Alex Redmond was in the discussion of maybe this dude could play tackle. They so badly need somebody that can be one of these guard tackle hybrids. Um, one of these guys that played even played really good tackle in college could develop to that. You know, these candidates to kick inside. You know who was a, You know who was uh who was like that? Who was thought of that way? Who? Andrew Whitworth was thought of that way yes. back in the day. You know, he was supposed to be kicking into guard and better suited to play guard and whatever. You know, you see that a lot of times. And 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 sometimes the better fit is at guard. You know, Andrews Pete down in uh New Orleans, we, you saw that was his thing and actually did end up being a better fit at guard as he just landed a big contract after his rookie deal was up. So and so you never know which way it will end up but this team clearly needs somebody with the ability to do both and if that is develop into a good guard potentially develop into a tackle potentially just be a swing tackle guard type because they just don't have that profile i mean who on their roster you know we know it would be fred johnson you're looking at fred johnson bobby hart and jonah williams are your three tackles so you you need another tackle um, at the very least, and your starting guards, you could use a massive upgrade there at any spot. I mean, you could draft somebody to start there and, and not catch any qualms. Um, so to me, if you're trying to find the the one stop shop to possibly see what works to get something to to fit for you, it would be somebody with that maybe that ability. Um, and there's some guys. It's interesting. We've talked about the Senior Bowl. Two guys there. <laughs> of course, this is a senior bowl where you just were talking about how big of a mess their line was. <laughs> but there were some guys that actually did show nicely. Ben, in, in Ben Barch, uh, who's from St. John's in Minnesota, not the Red Storm. Uh, super small school guy, which is really, when you talk about the senior bowl, what the senior bowl is meant for is watching these super small school guys compete against the higher level competition. Really held his own. You know, a guy where if he meshed in that room with Jim Turner doing all the crazy things that you wrote about <laughs> uh, in your story from Mobile, you know, if that meshed, if they liked what they saw in him, you could really see them feeling like they saw enough to buy in beyond his small school stuff. But his small school stuff would have him available when? Later in the draft. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's a match for you. Um I, you know, Calvin Throckmorton from Oregon. They played him all over the line. They played him at center. They played him at right tackle. They played him at left tackle. He, you know, he played left tackle. He, in fact, he was the, he was number four in pass blocking efficiency in the country last year at Oregon. Um, so he, he played a, a, a you know, a great pass protecting left tackle last year. Some people think, obviously, he's a Swiss Army knife type. Uh, that seems to be the type of player that would be a nice fit for the Bengals. Maybe he ends up being just a versatile back backup piece. Maybe he develops into more at a different position. But I, I had him to them. I have fourth round, 
you know, depending on how he's viewed, all the uh, online scouts that were filling the comments are claiming that he'll be around later than that. I don't know. Mike Renner's big board had him uh, right around this spot. Um, he had him at 118, the Bengals selecting at 107. So he's, according to the PFF board in that zone, which is why I put him there. But, yes, however they have him, day three, um, a guy like that would maybe be the one where you start to make some sense. I would not have a problem with a more aggressive play here, though. I really wouldn't. Get a real guard tackle hybrid. You know, whether whoever we're talking about. Um, you know, let's go up if we're talking about, you know, Isaiah Wilson from Georgia or just a guy who, who come in and be a real good tackle. Be your future uh, somewhere. Damian Lewis from LSU bringing all the LSU cats play guard. Um, you know, he's sort of, uh, he's a, he's a shorter guy, but really a road grader. I'm trying to pinpoint all those Jim Turner big guys. You know, his, his profile pretty easy to see when you look at the dudes the Bengals have added since he's been here. They're all massive. I, I just want to, I, how excited will Lap be if it's Throckmorton? An offensive lineman that played all five positions just like him. And if it is him, I don't know. I think we've talked about this on the podcast. But the highlight of the entire Senior Bowl week for me was at the end of that game, they had all these offensive linemen that were playing terrible and tapping out and claiming injury. And they were down to five. They only had five healthy offensive linemen. And there was a quick change. There was a turnover. And the offense had to run back out there. And they've only got four offensive linemen out there. And they're looking for Throckmorton, and they can't find him. And it's because Lapp's interviewing him on the sideline while the game's still going on. <laughs> and they're like, hey, get in there. So that 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 was just – I mean, I know how much those two connect. Lapp loves offensive linemen anyhow, especially a guy that can play all – that did play all five positions in college. Um I, I just he would be so excited if if that guy was the pick. It's interesting because a lot of the tape grinders and scouts really don't think he has a future at tackle. That he is more of an inside guy, and he didn't have a great combine. But that's that's fine if he can if he can be a guy that can come in and start at guard and, and be a backup tackle. That that's exactly what they need is is a guy with versatility like that even a guy that could go in and and play center if something if they do move on from billy price and make a trade there and he's a he's a guy that can be your backup center as well he he does make a lot of sense um in, in that fourth round or possibly later yeah and and that's what you're and that's what we're talking about i mean these guys are around there for a reason um you know you're you're trying to hit on somebody with some upside development. Otherwise, you would be taking them earlier. And, you know, I I don't think there should be complaints if they – I certainly wouldn't be anybody complaining if you saw them go offensive line uh, with whether it would be 65, you know, or even maybe – I mean 33 maybe if you really wanted to. The idea of taking Joe Burrow at one and – Saying the line you have is good to protect him, um, you know, it just, it doesn't, it doesn't mesh. You, you, you got to get the offensive line, but when you, again, you have so many holes, it's, it's not easy to fix them all in one offseason. Let's talk about tight end. Uh, Eifert's gone. Now in Jacksonville, we, we bid our farewells last week on the podcast to him. Um, so, or you're looking at, what is what is next here? And CJ Uzama and Drew Sample are at the top of the 
the food chain there. They invested a second round pick. They gave Uzama a three year extension. You have Seathan Carter is going to be your fourth tight end. You're looking for who's a receiving third tight end. How much are you really going to value that right now? Again, late round developmental guy, but they they've said they wanted they liked what they saw from CJ as a receiver. So I'd expect to see a little bit more usage of him. They have no problem using him more in that role and you have more versatility there. I mean, I don't I would not understand over investing in this position for a second straight year. Look, they they played less. They went from the first half of the season they played eleven personnel, eighty two percent of the snaps. Second half of the season when they kind of switched things up a little bit, they were sixty nine percent. Both though, still a top five percentage of that personnel rate across the league. When you're only going to have one tight end out there, are you really going to heavily invest when you have all these other needs in a third tight end in that room? When you're only going to have, I mean, it's just the same way, the same way you criticized the sample pick last year, you would really criticize anything high at all in tight end this year for that reason. So to me, this should be an afterthought pick of, oh, you know, a guy with some developmental stuff that maybe you could get down that on the back end of this draft is the only way I see him making that happen. Not just an afterthought pick. It should be an after draft pick. It, they go get some undrafted free agent guys that, that you can maybe, like we said, hit a home run on some guy that is really athletic and has other dings and for whatever reason didn't get drafted. I mean, I, it doesn't make any sense to me to, to draft a tight end. It, it almost feels like an all or nothing kind of position. Either you want to get a, a stud really early or just wait, especially when you're in the position the Bengals are in where you've got two guys that, that are serviceable. They're, they're not pro bowlers, but you've got other needs. Just wait until after the draft is over and then maybe you use that to sell that look, hey, we've got a, a second round pick who doesn't, who's more of a blocking tight end and we've got a fifth rounder. Yeah, you know, you can come in and, and, and possibly make a, make a, a, a case for, for being a, a pass catching tight end, a backup to Uzama. Um, it just, I, that's where it feels like to me that this is a, where do we have that on? They were, uh, eighth, I believe, on the priority scale and you could even yeah. make an argument it could be tenth. I, I just think that's the, the, the least of their worries right now is tight end and it's not because they're loaded there. It's just the way they are and they do have enough of an investment there to get by, um, when, when you've got so many other glaring needs. And not that they're loaded, but there is belief in the guys they have there. I mean, they, yeah. they really liked what CJ showed in their system. They really liked what Sample was starting to show before he got dinged. I mean, again, and I feel like we've talked a lot about this, but so many of the guys from whether you're talking about Jermaine Pratt, whether people have the way they've talked about Michael Jordan, like, oh man, he came on at the end of the season. Well, Drew Sample never had an opportunity to do that, but in practice and what you started to see in games at the end of the first half of the season, which is where his season ended, he was, he, he was maybe arguably ahead of them in, 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 as far as starting to show some signs of progress. He just never got to have that second half of the season where everyone got to see it. So I think there is some hope for Drew Sample in that regard. And that, it may, he, it may not end up that way. Mm-hmm. It, it may end up where he, you know, is, is the bust that everyone wants him to be. Um, but I, I think that there's, a ton of people who have a lot of belief in that what true sample can be. And when you know those two facts, 
it makes no sense to be heavily invested in tight end. And, and of course, that's when they'll, they'll – and it's a bad draft for tight ends, certainly anywhere near the top. We may not see a tight end in the first 50 picks. So we'll we'll see how that all plays out. Um so that kind of that kind of covers what we have this week. Of course, next week we move a little bit further outside of the ball, so we'll have more. We'll talk about Joe Burrow, uh, in case you haven't heard about that guy. Uh, and and uh, we'll the all important linebacker position will enter the conversation. Um, but that's a good opportunity for me to bring in Mike Renner uh, from Pro Football Focus. Uh, we talk specifically of, about wide receiver and linebacker the tops of the Bengals' priority list and who those guys are, what the fits could be, where they would or wouldn't uh, make sense in Cincinnati, a Joe Burrow stat, uh, and some of his favorite sleeper in this draft. Again, everyone at Pro Football Focus uh, has done a great job. Mike at the head of their college coverage. Highly, highly recommend uh, being a, a subscriber to them and certainly checking out their draft guide and everything else they have going on over there. Anyway, here's Mike Renner. All right, now it's time on here that podcast ground moving into our interview segment. And, uh, you know, we're obviously everyone's in full steam ahead towards the draft. And that means lots of content from your good friends at Pro Football Focus who have been just for years now, but I think in the last few years in particular, it's come it's clear how much insane work they do on these draft prospects and, and how great it is uh, to check out their stuff. If you haven't had a chance, I highly recommend going to ProFootballFocus.com. I recommend becoming an elite or edge member and having access to all the great stuff that people like. My guest today, Mike Renner, have been doing. Mike, what's going on? Not much. Thanks for having me on, Paul. Happy to be on. Yeah, uh, you know, we've been, we're in the middle of our, uh, 10 part draft strategy series and, and we, we reference, uh, like I think everybody that's talking about draft stuff right now, PFF a lot. Um, and, and you're, there, it's really interesting, I think, you know, when you look at the way you guys have, I'm not going to say revolutionized the way with the way um, football is looked at at all, but I think the way it's consumed uh, in a lot of ways, and a lot of that goes back to understanding what positions need to be most focused on, what what ones don't, uh, what what numbers really matter. How much has your opinion changed on? how to grade and rank and value players and positions since even three, four, five years ago and, and coming over deep into the PFF era. Oh my God. So much. I mean, way back. So our very first year we graded college football and I started collecting this data was 2014. And so that was the year I, and I remember uh, grading and watching these prospects and I'm like, man, Paul Dawson. This linebacker, he, he just can't miss. <laughs> Don't do this like, to this Bengals. Guy, Don't do this to Bengals insane. fans and, so and, early, Mike. I, I know I had to do it, but <laughs> and some of it was obviously off field. Like it wasn't just his on field, but like nowadays I see a guy like that and someone like uh, an Evan Weaver from Cal is somewhat similar in that you know he just makes a ton of plays in college, but dude's not an athlete. And if you're not an athlete at the linebacker position anymore, you're not playing in the NFL. It's just as simple as that. Those days have come and gone. So I think a lot of, you know, the data we've collected, a lot of, you know, our projections, seeing how they translate from college to the pros has taught us. And that's the biggest thing is like, we're willing to learn and willing to like sit, do what these projections say. We're not stuck in our ways or stuck in any sort of one methodology. We're going to do whatever the data points us to. And 
just now like it's night and day what I value and what I look at compared to when I first started doing this. Well, I'm glad you mentioned linebacker because you, you get the attention of Bengals fans immediately who are still waiting to see what a good one looks like. Um, when you look at this linebacker class and we'll throw away because we know Isaiah Simmons isn't going to be a, a part of the Bengals equation, you know, we talk about uh, however you're viewing Zach Bond, we talk about uh, Patrick Queen, we, you know, we're talking about Murray, we're, but take me through this, the top and, and potential guys, whether it's Kenneth Murray or whoever at 33, that what you view as pluses and minuses and if they would be worth a pick there at that point. So I actually have come around to really like this linebacking class. I, I like, obviously Simmons at the top seems like one of the best linebacking prospects in a while and just really like calling him linebacker is almost doing him a disservice. He does everything a defensive, but he's not obviously going to factor for the Bengals. But ideally, I mean, the dream scenario for the Bengals, I think at 33 would have Patrick Queen, LSU linebacker to fall to them because to me, he's the quintessential coverage linebacker. He's not going to be great against the run. Really reminiscent of a guy like Deion Jones, who also you know, came out of LSU, but just can fly sideline to sideline, explosive, undersized, but 227 pounds really isn't even undersized in the NFL anymore. you got guys playing under 220 at the linebacker position. So I think that would be ideal. Like He just has the smooth hips, has everything you want in terms of coverage. Obviously, only just started starting this year, so he's a little risky from you just have, don't have a big sample size, but I still feel comfortable about uh, him as a first-rounder. But then Kenneth Murray is the guy that I could see slipping to him because there's real worries about his tape. He reminds me of... Uh, a guy, Jared Davis, coming out of Florida, where the high-level high plays are there. Like the, the speed, the explosiveness is there. And you see it coming downhill in the run game, tracking down guys in space. It all looks amazing. But you can't get over the fact that the guy just never made plays in the football. And he was always just a tick late in terms of reading routes and reading you know, his zone and coverage. And that's what plays in the NFL. You have to be able to process still quickly at the linebacker position. You have to sort of make up that step. You can be as fast as you want if you're reacting a half second behind what someone else is going to be reacting. You're not going to be making that play. So that's what worries me about Kenneth Murray. And I think he might end up actually being on the board because of that for them at 33. And I just, I don't, I just don't love his projection to the NFL. But to me, that's really, that's really it though. At the, at the very top, if you're looking for a guy at 33, I think the value will be elsewhere outside of those two and then top around three is where I'd probably take a look again at this linebacker class. So let's do that. What you know, you look at the top around three. Let's let's say, you know, which we'll talk about receivers here in a second as options for them at thirty three. Okay, so now now the pressure is really on because they literally need someone who can play on opening day. And you know, you you're talking about Who's there? Do you, do you like Troy Die? You know, do you look at Willie Gay Jr. as a guy that's getting a lot more buzz lately? I mean, who do you who do you look in that spot that could be maybe a, a sleeper that could be productive early? Talent wise, Willie Gay Jr. is the best then after that group. To me, he's actually he's probably right up there with Patrick Queen in terms of just pure talent. The thing is, we've only seen him play like 500 snaps in his career. He's not even been a, ever a starter. He got suspended for cheating on a chemistry test and then punched his quarterback this past year. Like the red <laughs> flags are all over the map with him. But he ran a four four six at two forty three, jumped, you know, had like an eleven four broad jump. The guy is just so explosive and been so good over the course of his career already in coverage. Like he's so smooth. Uh he really is a modern linebacker, but it's just difficult to square that off field 
with his on-field play. So if he's on the board there, third round, I, I would turn that card in right away because he's far more talented than that. But I think the other guy, the two more guys I would be willing to target there at the top of the third, uh, Oregon's Troy Dye. I, I do like him. I, I'm not sure where the NFL is going to see him because he's not the explosive guy that some of these other linebackers in this class are. He's much more of your kind of just smooth coverage linebacker. and He's already on the older side. I think he's already 23 years old. So he's been at Oregon forever. Uh, but he's long and still just good in coverage. Like he's just, you can't teach that guy to be able to be that, you know, big and still smooth with his hips. So I think it's just something that, you know, the Bengals could use. And then the other one is Texas Tech's Jordan Brooks. Uh, he's, he's kind of similar to Kenneth Murray, uh, in that he doesn't make a lot of plays, you know, laterally in coverage, hasn't made a ton uh, of plays on the football, but going downhill against the run, you know, screen game, that sort of stuff. He just shuts it down. Super explosive guy. You're like a 4-5, I want to say, at the combine at 245. I think he's a very uh, – he would be something that the Bengals definitely do not have in their roster right now. Uh, if you want to dive into more of Mike's linebacker predictions and and his look at his big board and some of the deeper dives on all these guys, uh, the, I highly recommend the PFF draft guide. Um, it, sh- it should be your your guiding light, your beacon of hope uh, this, this this time of year as you uh, you assess who they want and then look at the you know the at the outlook of who they actually end up taking there. I want to go. I, I cannot talk about. I can't do any drafting without at least mentioning Joe Burrow quickly. Yeah, um, just give. Give me your favorite Joe Burrow stat that you guys have. Because, you know, you guys have every single Joe Burrow stat that exists about what made him so great last year. Do you have one that's just your favorite in, in regards to him? Oh, I think my favorite, and, man, I'd have to – I don't have it completely offhand, but it's all ball, all ball, all ballpark what it kind of was. It was So he played four defenses that were ranked inside PFS top ten defenses last year. And in those games, so against the four best defenses, four of the best defenses in the country, he averaged, I want to say it was something like 370 yards, completed over 70% of his passes, and had 13 touchdowns compared to one interception. Like, against the teams that, you know, usually say, oh, you need like one marquee performance, he had four marquee performances against the best defenses in the country. Like, so... Uh, that's kind of it's, it's something you really just no one's ever seen before in college football to be dominating at the level he was. We got it. I like that. Brief, quick snaps. No one needs to be convinced that Joe Burrow's good anymore. Like I think like that ended a long time ago. So I I almost I, I hesitate anytime I even write or talk about the draft to even mention him anymore because it's just it's such an easy foregone conclusion. No one needs to be convinced about Joe Burrow. What what it, they do need to be convinced about, I think now from a Bengal standpoint, is the idea of, and we've seen this a lot in the past, and, and Jay Morrison and I have, have talked a lot about this, about the idea of going offense, offense, offense right off the jump, and you build these guys to grow together around Joe Burrow, especially in a year when you have this receiver class. I mean, we know who's going to go in the first round and who won't be there at 33. And I, it would be so far out of the Bengals' nature to trade up. They're far more likely to trade back at 33. So Jerry Judy, C.D. Lamb, Ruggs, I mean, I, those guys, um, you know, are, are going to are gonna be gone. Um, who do you think could slide and why and what would then make them maybe a, a good fit for Cincinnati at 33? I think – LaVisca Chenault could definitely slide in this draft because of the injuries. I mean, he just had surgery right after the combine, the Colorado wide receiver. He had multiple surgeries last season. 
Uh, the guy really can't, hasn't stayed healthy over the past calendar year, but we'll flip on the tape and he is just so explosive and so good with the ball in his hands. And he's really something that, you know, the Bengals don't have right now. They got some, they got a good route runner and, you know, Tyler Boyd. They got an explosive D threat in John Ross. They got a complete receiver in AJ Green, but they don't have a guy who just, you know, you run that gadget play for, you run that screen for. But to me, that's the viscous Chenault. He brings something to the table that they really don't have at the moment. I think he will be on the board for them. Now, I don't know if the injury is going to push him even past the Bengals or whatnot, but uh, I think he'll be there. And I think another guy that I would mention is in a similar vein is Brandon Ayer from Arizona State. I know he, he could end up going in the back end of the first, but I think, uh, you know, with as many wide receivers as there are in this class, you're going to see some of these guys who are really talented get pushed down. He's a first-rounder to me, but, uh, again, might fall down some boards. He was he's better than prospect than Nikhil Harry, not, not even close in my mind. He's far more explosive. And another guy who led the entire draft class in terms of yards after the catch this season. So another guy who brings on the table that the Bengals don't really have. Yeah, I mean, you you have Chenault all the way up at 17 on your big board here. Um, and and that's, you know, the injuries are probably the thing that would take people down from, from that yes. type of a number. I mean, but you look you look at some of the game tape, I mean, and, and some of the huge games he's had, whether it's a vertical threat or whatever. I mean, he's been ridiculous. You just get nervous from a team that has had trouble keeping their top picks healthy for a number of years in a row. Uh, you, you, you get nervous anytime you have that history. But, of course, they took Jonah Williams, who played every single game in Alabama. They took Billy Price, who played every right. single game in Ohio State, and they came in and both have been have had injury problems off the jump. So it's like maybe they should try the opposite. Pick the injury-prone guy, and maybe they'll, they'll prove that they were due and it's already out of their system. But I want to ask you about Mims. Uh, and, and obviously, you know, you've got Rieger as well, Higgins, that other class that you have them in that 20 to 30 range. What, what are the, some of the pluses and minuses of them and, and where they could fit in the Cincinnati offense? So I think Higgins could fall there. Higgins is really – he's almost similar to an A.J. Green in that he moves differently than your average, you know, six foot four, 210-pound receiver. Like he can stop on a dime. It's really good body control. Uh, I think it's just very – uh, not one thing that he does exceptionally well, but like is always open and is always going to haul the ball in if there's a guy in his back. So I think that's T. Higgins. Jalen Rager is just another super explosive dude, just can get open down the football field. Not a polished route runner by any means, but uh, like he had an over 11 foot broad jump and over 40 inch vertical. He can just, he can sky and can get, uh, get away from defensive backs in a hurry. So that's his calling card. And then Denzel Mims, I, I bet he's not going to make it to the Bengals anymore after what he did at Senior Bowl and then what he did at the Combine going 4-3-8. He's just 6-3-2-15, I mean, his testing numbers were almost, not almost, pretty much identical to Julio Jones's coming out in terms of size, speed, uh, explosiveness. And that, that just doesn't last long in the NFL draft, unfortunately, even though he really did struggle at times with press coverage at Baylor and you know, facing Big 12 corners, they're not the best uh, sort of competition, so that's concerning. But you're not that level of athlete and fall into the second round, in my opinion. One thing before you go with this receiver class, uh, Justin Jefferson, you maybe have him lower than you see most. Um, the obvious would be, hey, connecting Joe Burrow back with Justin Jefferson again. Um, why, why would you or would you not necessarily like that for the Bengals system and what, and what has kind of pushed him down boards for you? To me, redundant to what they have in Tyler Boyd. I think they're very similar types of wide receivers, and that's very good over-the-middle route runners, you know, very crafty, very good ball skills, but not necessarily 
take the top off the defense kind of guys, not necessarily, uh, you know, your guy who you're going to rely on on the outside to beat man coverage. So that, and that's just what I worry about is that's just not quite as valuable as the guy who like a, you know, like a, uh, like a Jalen Rager who can get open down the football field on his own and doesn't need to be necessarily scheme the ball uh, over the middle of the field at times. So, uh, that's the, that's the biggest thing keeping him down for us because I saw he played outside in 2018 and was not nearly as productive there as an outside receiver for LSU than he was manning the slot. Alright, I'll give you a chance to look great. Uh, favorites, who's your favorite sleeper in this whole draft? The one guy that'll go on day three that you think could, that might go on day three that you think will be the one that you can look point back and say, I told you so. Oh man, that's so tough. I love, so I love KJ Hill from Ohio State. Mm-hmm. I think if he just goes to the right situation, that's going to utilize a slot receiver. Like he does a lot of the same things that Justin Jeff- Jefferson does well from a route running perspective. Not near the athlete, but like getting open in the five to ten to fifteen yard range doesn't require straight line speed. It just requires some quickness. And I think KJ Hill has that. So I love his game. I-, I think if he goes to like Tampa Bay or somewhere that's going to you know to Indianapolis Colts with Philip Rivers, someone that really targets the slot a lot. I think he could have a productive career in the NFL, despite, you know, not maybe looking the part like some of these other guys. Again, cannot recommend enough all of Pro Football Focus's coverage. Uh, you should join. You should subscribe. They're doing incredible stuff. What, what's the, what's the number one thing that people should be looking for, uh, right now, Mike, that you got going on? Um, we have a new draft guy dropping on Monday that will have team pages that will grade the starting lineups and give like uh give our breakdown in terms of like are they elite at what positions they are, below average, average, above average, high quality, that sort of thing, grading every team's starting lineups, what they the biggest three needs for them are, uh, and grading their draft history and that sort of thing is gonna be in the new draft guide dropping on Monday. Awesome. Uh, I will certainly be re, uh, refreshing on that and, uh, really look forward to it. Thank, congrats on everything you guys have been doing. It's been fantastic and, uh, you know, try to, uh, stay safe and, uh, you know, enjoy your lead up to the draft. For sure, Paul. Thanks for having me on, man. All right. Thanks to, uh, Mike, uh, for joining. Let's, um, before we run past her boot uh, on our way out of here, I do want to shout out, we, we've sort of across the athletic podcasts, we've been giving shout outs to local businesses, organizations that, uh, we love and what they do during this time. And it sort of crosses over a little bit here. Um, and that is you know, Zach Taylor this week gave a hefty donation or reportedly 20 grand to City Gospel Mission in downtown Cincinnati. I, I've known people that have worked over there. I know the work they do in working with the homeless and, and so many people, um, that are really, that really kind of the, a lot of the forgotten members of not just our society, but certainly this crisis. Um, they do incredible work there and you can go to citygospelmission.org. Um, you can donate as Zach Taylor did. He's encouraged his staff to do so. It's, it's just a great organization and they're doing some really important work in a really tough time. They have not stopped. Um, and they need as much help as they can get. If you have an opportunity, if you're looking for somewhere, how can I help? City Gospel Mission is really doing great stuff in the city and helping some of the, you know, some of the underserved members of our community. So, um, please don't forget about them. If you get a chance, highly recommend if you're looking for some way to help, help 
go to citygospelmission.org, um, which is what Zach Taylor did. Um, I got to run Pastor Boot for us, Jay. Okay. We're in quarantine. You're wearing shorts. You're doing, you're doing shower hits. <laughs> you're, we're in, we're in weird places. Uh, favorite quarantine viewing activity. Binging a show, watching old games that are constantly on television now, or kind of doing the online perusal of people, celebrities, whoever that are doing or starting to post on stuff online where you basically just basically just go into the YouTube wormhole of live streaming and stuff like that. Which Where would you run past or boot those three for you? All right. I'm booting the celebrities. Although, I mean, I did the iHeartRadio living room concert. That was great, but I just, I, I don't need to see that. Um, I'm going to run with the binge watching shows. I, I love watching old games and my wife kind of makes fun of me for it because you already know what's going to happen, but you don't like when they, when they replayed the red 75 world series. I mean, I watched that as a 10 year old kid. I know who won the game, but you don't remember the, the little things that go into it, but that's, that's a me, uh, experience. The, the binge watching shows is something that my wife and I do together. Uh, we just finished Ozark season three. We're looking for something new to start. Um, so I, I will run with the, the show binging and, uh, I'll, I'll pass on rewatching old games and I'll, I'll boot the celebrities there. I don't need them. I will, I will run as well with binging old shows. I, I have fish, I have claimed for a long time. The blind spot in my television watching career is having never seen The Wire, and I am I am avenging that as we speak. I'm How in far are you? Two now. Two, I'm in okay. season two, the beginning of season two. So, introduction to the a lot of the main characters, but obviously a long way to go. Pro- approximately, uh, I think I've got fifty episodes left, so plenty plenty of time. Uh, I'm planning on this being quite the quarantine. But also, because you're not just binging the show, you're also kind of binge drinking. Like, let's be honest. I, True. There, there's nothing more consistent than The Wire. You know what I've become? I have become a claw man. Oh, really? Claws. I know. I've never been a claw person, but that's what this has done to me. It's I've turned never me into tr- a claw guy. I've never tried them. I'm afraid to try them. I'm afraid I'll like them, and then I'll get ridiculed. I was afraid I'd like them, and I really do. The black cherry hooked me hard. I was like, oh, my God. It's so tasty. It goes so fast. And 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 I'm, now I find myself just, like, crushing those packs. We bought the variety pack. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm deep into the claw world now. It's the wire and claws, which, by the way, it's kind of funny that the wire, this look at, like, police corruption and violence – and murder in in downtown Baltimore is like the light release from the real world right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I am booting watching old games. I don't get into watching old games as much. It, it's fun. I could do it. I can do it a little bit. I can do it when it is sort of like a unique nostalgia. But when it's kind, when all anybody's doing is w- playing and watching old games, it's just it's exhausting. I will take the online stuff. So I this gets kicked out solely because I loved. It was uh, John Krasinski and Emily Blunt have their like some good news thing that they've started doing, and they brought in the a reunion of the entire original cast of Hamilton for this girl that wanted to go to Hamilton and wasn't able to. And they and they they did the main song like all busting in on Zoom. 
It was incredible. If you get a chance to watch it, I highly recommend it. Uh, so that, that type of stuff that you get a lot of things like that, that are kind of special moments happening. Maybe for some people really enjoyed when the Backstreet Boys did their little reunion thing. That, that obviously wasn't me. Jay, you're a big Backstreet guy. Nope, not at all. <laughs> we know your, we know your musical tastes. You know, you love Backstreet. If they, if if they no, ever if, played, what, they, look, Backstreet is probably not far from playing in a Hamilton bowling alley. So I feel like they'll be right up your your literal alley pretty soon. No guitar solo, no interest. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! If you can't show up shirtless, it's not my kind of show. I'm surprised I've never seen Hamilton. I mean, uh, you figure I should probably see the the show that's all about my hometown. Let me tell you what's better than your hometown, Hamilton. Okay. <laughs> that, like the idea that those two are the same thing is kind of funny. Hamil- Hamilton is an incredible show. It's, by the way, coming back to Cincinnati, I believe, next year. So you should definitely get on that. It, it is awesome. It, I had very high expectations for it, and then they blew them out of the water. It was fantastic. So I highly recommend. All right. That's a, that's a nice run past your boot. Nice run yeah. past your boot for us to go out. Um Next week, again, we'll be getting into uh, quarterbacks, linebackers. What are we, running backs next week? Running backs and corners? Yeah. Yeah. So we'll be diving into those for, for you next week. Our guy from the athletic number one draft expert, Dane Brugler, will be our guest on here. His, by the way, his beast is out now, which is the it is the absolute be all end all for every draft prospect in depth reviews. Thousand over a thousand prospects reviewed. Uh, I mean, it is incredible. He spends all year working on it. it it's a work of art, honestly. Uh, it is out and it is free with a subscription to the athletic. So if you're a subscriber, I mean, it's worth, that's worth the subscription alone. We're coming in for the free trial alone, much less the 400 plus other reporters we have, but Highly, highly recommend that. He's going to be our guest next week talking about some of the Bengals fits, uh, that are in there. And, um, you know, so looking forward to having him on next week. So come back for that. We are almost there. Draft right around the corner. Um, practicing our Zoom interviews for press conferences and player conference calls. So hopefully we'll be ready for that. Uh, but we'll, we may be quarantined, but we're still bringing you all the goods. Uh, hope this has been good for everybody. Hope everybody's staying safe and staying inside. Do not leave. Stay inside. We'll get through this together. Hang in there, everybody. And uh, we'll talk to you next time here in the podcast. Right?